Listener Production. Hi, I'm journalist and producer Chris Walker, and this is season two of my podcast, Brains Trust. What you're about to hear is some of Australia's most interesting, funny and complex people having what I am grandiosely calling a tapestry of conversation. I hope their reactions and responses to the reality of life in 2021 help you rethink, reassess and even reimagine your own year. The Brains Trustees this season include... G'day, my name's Tommy Little. My name's Jamila. I'm Abby Chatfield. I'm Charlie Pickering. I am Samantha Armitage. I am Rob Reed. You've got Tony Armstrong here. Together, they are the ultimate dinner party conversation and we've saved you a seat at the table as we discuss the events, news and circumstances of our world from different perspectives. That is a really complex question. That's an interesting question. That's a really tricky question. Well, hang on, let me think about how I felt about that. Just a quick heads up. This episode of Brains Trust contains explicit language and sexual themes. Welcome to the final episode of Brains Trust Series 2. We've traversed some very important F-words in this series. Fettle, family, faith, fairness and fame. Today's episode is titled Fun. It's a word we might need to think about differently from now on. It's possible that fun is the actual answer to the big questions like, what is the meaning of life? Would you not be pleased if when drawing close to the end of your mortal innings that you looked back and thought, I'd had fun more often than not? I would. As we release this podcast, a good portion of Australia is waking up out of a lockdown slumber, ready for some fun. So let's dive right in to the deeper, funner end of the pool with Abby Chatfield. Let's talk about sex for a bit because you talk about sex a lot. You seem yeah. you seem pretty into it. Yeah, I guess. No? No, yeah, but like you, also... You're sick of talking that... about it. No, I just, I just don't have that much sex. Everyone thinks that I like... I slept with someone recently and I, and I was like, oh, this is the first time I've had sex in like two months. And he was like, I don't believe you. And I was like, I, like, I talk about sex a lot, but like mm. I don't really... I don't really get it that much. You recently brought out a. We're lucky enough because um, Carrie's my partner, so you, your PR team um, kindly sent us two or three of your new vibrators. Two or three. Yeah. Oh my god! Amazing. Love that. Yeah. Well, it was <laughs> it was particularly handy because um, they would probably would have stayed in the box, except the kids, the two young ones, are walking around the house using them as lightsabers at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. They, they do actually lend themselves to be a lightsaber. Yeah, that's good. They're great. They're loving mm. it. Mm. I actually said to our mutual friend, Chris Brown, because he said to me, oh, you know, she's got um, a new line of um, dildos. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, I saw them. And I said, I think, they, they, you know, I had a quick look at them. They look pretty professional. I mean, I don't know if that's how you describe a dildo, but <laughs> they look pretty professional. Pretty professional. I've got a pinstripe suit on. They look pretty corporate. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. So what was the thinking behind that? Um, so it's actually a collab with a brand. Everyone thinks that it's my vibrator. It is my vibrator, but like I designed it. I don't um, think anyone thinks it's literally yours that you've just... <laughs> no, yeah, it's just... <laughs> it, it just it's like Sisterhood of the Travelling Pan. You're just sharing it. Just, just, just it goes around. It's like... <laughs> it's like the Olympic torch. <laughs> yeah, no, it is that. Uh, no, but so it's a collab with a brand called Vush. Um, they just uh, asked me if I wanted to do a vibrator. I said yes. We made some modifications to it. Like, for example, the stem is longer because it's really hard. Because I, I think because a lot of sex toys are made by men. Is that true? Yeah, like most, like it's actually quite rare to have a sex toy company that's owned by by uh, women, uh, Vush is owned by men, um, but their whole like product design team are women. So like there's mm. this other like, but um, so like whenever I've used vibrators that are insertable, it's like, it's very hard. 
like the angle to to be able to make to be able to have movement. This is an audio medium. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I did. I did. I did remember that as I was just for everyone else. Abby is just, just quietly showing us how that works. Um, yeah. So just imagine my hand slowly. Um, but uh, it, anyway, so we made the, we made the stem longer. We made the the bulb thing go into it, the bulb. Yeah, we love it. Uh, bulbier, more bulby. Um, and it's been a hit, babe. I mean, we sold out in ten days, so it's uh, it's been fun. So one of Abby's bulbous friends could bring you some joy. But Tommy spent part of his lockdown with his remote binging on TV. Outback Aussie Opal Hunters. <laughs> what else? Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, I've started watching Bourdain. Is that good? Um, yeah, it's great. Did you see Love on the Spectrum? Yeah, bro. I loved Love on the Spectrum. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so warm. It's lovely, isn't it? It's it, it's so warm, but it's so, it's so uh, so funny as well. I love the fact that uh, you know they're showing all these gorgeous young people with with autism being funny. Mm. It's great to see a section of the community that you know a lot of people I think would dismiss, yeah, or potentially even feel sorry for. And you're like, man, they're fine, don't you? You don't, <laughs> don't, they you don't need your pity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're flourishing. It's fine. Everyone gets a lot of satisfaction from what they see on TV. And more and more, we care that what is on there is representative. Jamila Rizvi wrote an article this year criticising various depictions of disability in fictional TV and cited that between 1998 and 2015, a third of all Best Actor Oscars went to people playing characters with disabilities, noting that none of those actors themselves were living with disabilities. Now, just as a starting point, let's just both agree that the stereotypes aren't helpful. Okay, I don't think anyone, yeah. anyone, no one's arguing that the stereotypes are good. And and to a certain degree, movies and TV shows use stereotypes as shortcuts for certain things. And, and there's a formatic problem with movies and TV shows when you're trying to ex- explain the biography of a human being because it's got to be compacted. So let's just start where everyone usually starts with this conversation, and that is, do you think it is not a good thing that Dustin Hoffman played Raymond Babbitt in Rain Man. You had to pick a really good movie, didn't you? Mm. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think it's a bad thing in and of itself. What I think is a problem is not any specific film but that Hollywood and the movie industry has a history of excluding people with disabilities and neurodiverse people from working in movies, whether on screen or off. And when roles for neurodiverse or disabled people come up, we have failed to make that an opportunity for inclusion. I mean, I think that that is happening more that neurodiverse people are on TV. And I think it's possible that Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man, which is a good starting point, is of an era where, I mean, I think it was made in an era that it almost brought autism as a word into into the light. I I, I mean, I was pretty little when that movie came out. I think it came out in 1989 or 1988. I would have been seven. Um, and I didn't know what autism was until I saw that movie. Mm. And for that reason alone, I think there's some benefit in it. It's not to say that there aren't some problems with the depiction. Um, 
But I guess what people want to know is, is it okay to make a movie now about an autistic person and put a Hollywood superstar in it and not an autistic person? See, that as a principle, I don't have a problem with, right? Like, it's acting. You should be able to play roles that aren't your lived experience. The reason I think we need to tread carefully is not because I think people aren't capable of acting something they haven't experienced, but because I think there is an added responsibility on people making films, television, whatever it might be, to recognise if they are telling the stories of a particular group of people when those people have not had access to telling their own stories throughout history. I think you have a responsibility to try and right that wrong. And if we get to a point, I don't know when that point might be, but where neurodiverse people have good access to writing books and telling their own stories on film, television, you know, holograms, whatever it will be in the future, (laughs) once there's that sense of access (laughs) to telling their own stories and telling others' stories, then I think it starts to matter less um, so long as this story can be told with a level of authenticity. For me, it's about the exclusion that has happened not just now but in the past. Um, and like you say, I think it is getting better, but I don't think it's fixed. No, I mean, I have to say, I'm, I'm so, there's, I have, that answer brings me some relief because I was so stressed that you were going to tell me that I'm an asshole for loving Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. No, I loved Rain Man. And I think at the time, uh, as a society, we hadn't got to the point where we were able to have that conversation, which makes me really sad that it took us so long. But I don't think the answer is the barring of who can tell stories. I I feel uncomfortable about the barring of who can tell stories. But I do think as storytellers we have to recognise that it is a privilege to be able to tell your own story and it is a privilege to be able to tell other people's stories. And if you have that position of privilege, it's worth taking a moment to say, well, who doesn't? And who am I to tell this story if the person who has lived it doesn't get to? Making a big decision that brings about positive change in your life is something that Samantha Ramatage did this year by leaving her job at Sunrise. I asked her about a quote that she'd posted on social media. And you wrote this thing next to a picture of, I think it was you and your mum, and it was a quote um, from a guy called Nathan Morris saying, edit your life frequently and ruthlessly, it's your masterpiece after all, which sounded like from reading it that was something you, that either your mum said to you or was, mm. a, was a mantra by which you live by. Is that... True. Yeah, Mum used to say that quite a lot. She she found it on Instagram, I think. So she, which she, <laughs> you know, <laughs> God love her. But uh, she sort of, I mean, she saw me uh, like nobody else saw me behind the scenes of, and she regularly used to say to me, um, "God, Sam, just get out of that horrible world. Just get out. What are you doing? You know, they couldn't work out how this at all happened for me. You know, they they um, they were sort of like you. You're a clever girl, and you loved. Uh, English at school and you were a bit of a show-off and they never saw me <laughs> being a journalist, let alone, you know, hosting a breakfast show, let alone having my, you know, house invaded and being top headline maker in the country for a while there, you know. So it was very foreign to them and they didn't like it, mum and dad. Uh, I think mum, would, if she was around, would be extremely um, 
pleased that I removed myself from it in March. And I, I remember when I went to see dad and tell him that I was going to leave. And my father is very much, you know, baby boomer. Our whole life, very, very much drummed a very good work ethic into us kids. You work hard, you be grateful for the job, you know, and um, you don't rock the boat. And so we, li- I'd lived my life like that. I'd worked bloody hard for a long time. And then when I really made this decision to leave, I went and saw Dad and I told him what I was going to do. And I thought he would say, no, you've got to stick to it. It's good money, you know, and he mm. didn't. He, he straight away said, darling, I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. That's interesting. Good on you. They know you well. Yeah, well, I just think they knew I'd had enough. And um, I think he wanted, you know, we'd all lost mum and I think he wanted a bit of, you know, peace in his life too. Um, and it used to tear them apart, the, some of the stuff that was happening to me. So, look, mum used to say that to me all the time and, it, you know, um, she was really good. Mum was a wonderful writer. I mean, I think I, my mother should have written children's books. She was the most talented writer, beautiful speaker, really very intelligent. And so she'd collect quotes and I think that's where I sort of inherited it from. So she she loved that one particularly. And, um, you know, she was very good. She was very good. You know, if I'd go to her, she's as far as, you know, as girls tend to do, you know, this girl's being mean. Or, I mean, don't forget, I had six years of all girls boarding school. So... <laughs> It's pretty, ah. it's pretty rough. I know. <laughs> it's pretty, it makes you, I mean, God, if that didn't prepare me for a life in a newsroom, it's pretty bloody tough in an all-girls boarding school. Um, but, you know, so she was quite good at all that sort of stuff. You know, if if, if women around you are not nice, cull them. <laughs> if they, you know, if it, don't hold on to friendships that aren't doing, you know, that are doing you harm. Um, so she was quite good with the advice. And she was very... Um, well, she was a Scorpio, so she was pretty black and white. Like, you know, if someone does the wrong thing by you... Because she was a Scorpio or just because she was born? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, well, a bit of both. She was a country girl too, but she was very, you know... So you've uh, moved from Hinduism, Hinduism to astrology? <laughs> to astrology. Well, this is me. This is the enigma that is me. Um, she was very... She was a lot harsher. My sister's more like Georgie. My sister is more like mum. Like they're much tougher than I am. They're very much, if someone does the wrong thing by you, that's it. They're out. Whereas I'm a little bit more like, oh, I'll give them another chance. Oh, I'll give them okay, no, now they're an asshole. Now, mm-hmm. you know. But mum was very much like, if it's not suiting you, you know, move it on. So I'm not sure if this will run us into a problem, but I'll ask anyway. <laughs> you just said about second chances and I assume you're looking forward to getting back on TV. Would you work with any of the people that you worked with at Sunrise again? <laughs> well, look, it's a small industry, isn't it? But um, I I would like to go in another direction, I think. I, you know, I, I, um, well, look, you never say never, but I I don't know. No, I can't really answer that. No, I, th- I think I'd want to do something fresh. How much of your identity do you associate with your work? I was very um, conscious of it the whole way through my career that um, I didn't want that to be my um, identity. I was very, very conscious of keeping it quite separate. You know, I used to regularly say to myself, this is just a job, this is just, you You know, I was, I was pretty grounded really considering that world and some of the people in it who are not that grounded. Um, 
So, uh, but but you can't help, but, you know, when you recognise, when people are coming up to you in the supermarket and for many years, <laughs> for me, it was like, oh, you're gorgeous. My, my son's single, you know, in, in, the woolly, <laughs> in the vegetable aisle at Woolies and I was like, oh, thank you so much. Aren't you sweet? Um, the way all great relationships start in the supermarket aisle <laughs> with the mum. With you, <laughs> with you, so thank God for Rich because now, you know, mothers aren't trying to set me up with their sons. But... Um, you can't help for it to become part of your um, being, part of your identity. But so it's been a good challenge for me, and and I because I was so aware of it, I was I was absolutely terrified that it would become my whole life. Like, oh no way, that's really sad. Um, so, but part of the challenge since leaving is making sure that I have kept my own identity. That I don't miss hair and makeup, for instance, for one minute. <laughs> Like I really am enjoying um, the low-key life. It, it, it suits me. You know, I'm, I'm never happier than when I'm in the paddock with the horses, with the dogs. I really love um, nature. I really and rich. And, and rich. <laughs> Some of the best fun we have in life comes from our relationships. But having grown up in an era without social media and Tinder, I wondered whether the apps have sucked some of the fun out of it. Former AFL player and broadcaster, Tony Armstrong. Yeah, I think generally most people will sit there and have like a Sunday swipe, you know, go out, go out on a Saturday night, maybe exchange numbers with someone, but then uh, generally they'll find their dates online. So do you meet, meet girls out? Yeah, like I do. That said, um, I am actually, when I am out, I'm generally just with my friends and we'll just be in a dive dive somewhere. So there's not normally anyone who would want to hook up with me or me, them, anyway. Because I'm kind of glad I was a 20-year-old when I was because… Before it all? Yeah. Because Before it was, was online? Yeah. And, and like I kind of like with my kids, like they're really young at the moment. But they're, you know, I mean, my, Ollie's 13, so he's not far off. You know, starting to, starting to explore yeah. that, and yeah. they do it all. On, they do it all on their phone, and it's like you don't have to call them, the parents, the parents, and say, "Hey, I want to speak to such and such," and then they they yell at you because it's slightly too late at night to be talking to her. And you know, you got to you know, you got to be polite. You've got to be you got to have some level of courage. Whereas now, they, you know, they just fire off texts or or posts or whatever. Yeah. So, like for instance, you know, you could put up a post on Instagram, and then. Not only will you get a, a thousand likes or whatever it is, you'll get DMs off it. And it, like, I can't imagine what that would be like without having that sense of, you know, being like obviously more mature now, understanding that like, what what is that? Like, what is this? I'm, I mean, if I was a 25-year-old AFL footballer with that in my hands, I would be fired. It'd be nuclear. Yeah, within you know, I would get to six games, and they'd be like, "He's done." <laughs> well, he's done it, and he's done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but exactly right. So, um, so there's that. But yeah, like the online dating thing, I just, I remember sort of maybe two years after I finished playing footy, I caught myself hung over on the couch, and I was just like, dangerous, swiping, no yeses. I was just like going, like looking at someone for like that long. Nah. 
and I just caught myself after sort of doing it for three minutes. And I was like, what a weird way to. These are people mm. as well. Like, and I'm literally basing it off not reading a profile, not, I'm literally just like looking at something for that long. That's not long enough to make any kind of decision about anything. Um, so I was like, okay, that's not you. So I've just got off them and, which is, which I really like because then I kind of don't have the temptation to sort of be on those apps if I'm, say, out or something like that and you just, I don't know, start firing off messages to bloody everyone. I don't, I don't have that temptation, which is, which is great. Jamila also grew up without the Sunday swipe, but she doesn't necessarily agree with me about the pitfalls of online dating. I'm glad we had to do it the way we had to do it by going and meeting a bar or getting the courage to ring your girlfriend's dad and say, I, need to, I want to speak to her now and him lecturing you because it was past nine o'clock or whatever the thing was. Do you think the kids are going to lose something over a period of time with all of the, just how easy it is to text each other and mm. there's like no barriers to entry. I don't mean that as a pun, but... <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Um, you know how they they talk about how uh, when people are horrible to each other on Twitter or any kind of social media really that people become more emboldened because they don't have to say it to your face. Yeah. They can, it's easy to be horrible behind a keyboard. I suspect that applies just as much to positive social interactions, either romantic or sexual, that you're more emboldened to say and do things you would never say and do to someone's face and I worry about the implications of that for human relationships, especially young people starting to meet one another because the stakes become a lot higher, a lot faster. The fact that you can ask for sex on the first time that you open up a little box to chat to someone or yeah. that we dispose of people by swiping on them, that that makes me uncomfortable. But even before you get to the sex, like we've got a 13-year-old boy who's got, they've all got phones now and they interact and, they don't know how to interact both positively and negatively. Yeah. To me, that's weird. Like we're doing something to our social cues that I don't think is going to work for them in the end. And what does a pandemic do to that? Like layer a pandemic on top of that, right, with less and less seeing each other in the flesh and more and more existing in a Bubble, digital yeah. sphere. Yeah, it's not cool. Yeah, it's very Black Mirror. When you think about it, most of our fun is stored in the past, in our memories. We get vast enjoyment out of regaling stories and remembering moments we've had with one another. Memories also house the not-so-fun. And this sparked an interesting chat with Charlie Pickering. It's funny, we were talking recently about would you give up your best memory, your best memory to get rid of your worst memory? And I absolutely wouldn't. So the most fun I ever had is my best memory. And it's one day. What's the worst memory though first, just in a sentence? Uh, the the last time I saw my grandmother and um, the feeling that I wasn't sure that she knew that I was in the room and I felt, I felt very acutely the number of opportunities I had not taken to spend more time with her. That's so the you, worst memory. And you'd hang on to that for this? I'd hang on to that, yeah. I, I, I think... That teaches me to appreciate my living family more. That's definitely made me closer to my parents. But then this best memory that you're hanging on to. Pound for pound, the best day anyone's ever had on the planet. <laughs> it's like it what is. Happened? 
So um, it was the first holiday I took with my now wife. She was my um, girlfriend at the time. And we went to Italy. We stayed in Tuscany. George Negus hooked me up with a friend because he lived in this little town in Tuscany for a year and he hooked me up with a friend of his who had people stay on his farm. And I was a cyclist and I said, we're going to ride bikes around Tuscany. And this was day one of the ride around Tuscany. And I don't know if you... It, it turns out it's a very mountainous area <laughs> and it's very hard to ride a bike there. So there's a bit of conflict involved. But we basically... Sarah and I rode our bikes around the hills of Chianti. We stopped, bought food at a little market along the way, had a picnic in the woods, made love in an olive grove, and then while trying to ride home, got lost, completely lost and off the map, and got stuck and it got dark, and we were screwed. Like we were out the... Like we literally hit a dead end in the middle of a forest. And we managed it. We had like two bars of coverage on the phone, managed to call our guy who somehow found us in the woods, came and picked us up in the dark and took us back to his farm and we drank wine and ate dinner and just laughed ourselves silly. Yeah, good. It showed that with a little bit of effort, you can, you can have a perfect experience. And it was imperfect. We got lost. It would like, and, and it was hard to ride up all the hills and everything. But it was just everything about it was the best of a possible day on the planet. And it... To this day, I just... Every time I think about it, it's like... It's such a pure, purely joyous feeling. And you're a man who's done some MDMA in your time. That's right. I've done the synthetic version. It turns out the real happiness is far better. It really is. <laughs> Although at the time, you're, you're absolutely <laughs> sure that MDMA is, is a key to happiness. Jesus shit. <laughs> How many hours talking shit? Oh, my God. The pinnacle of fun, I assume is finally realising the dream you had as a kid. Most of us get nowhere near it, but Tony Armstrong fell agonisingly short. Grand final day, 2012. So I was, I was in the squad for the Swans. We played we played Hawthorne, beat Hawthorne on, on the G. Grew up barracking for the Swans, on, and I've become, again, a Swans nuffy now. Now, now I love them again. Because um, there's enough time between footy to like actually enjoy it without sort of being like, oh, could have been me. Mm. Um, so I played all right in the year and then I'd work my way into the side. That was probably the time I started establishing myself. Anyway, I knocked Nick Malcheski out of the side and I played like five weeks in a row as the other halfback with Marty Matner. And I was starting on the ground. I know we, we, we were playing Brisbane on a Friday night. And I rock up to the ground. So I was starting on the ground. And then I get there. I've got the sub vest in front of me. Marty Matner's not playing. Nick Malcheski's in. And he's starting on the ground. So I've gone from starting on the ground, Nick Malcheski out of the side, me into sub, him starting on. He had 35 and kicked two or something. I came on late. Might have had 10 touches. Played well. But he had 35 and kicked two. Anyway, so I, I played one more game for the year. That was round 23. Kept my man goalless in like a 30-point loss. And then I was like the first emergency for all the finals. Anyway, the grand final comes around. And like throughout the week, like they still hadn't picked the side. So 
He gets a grand final day and it was between Luke Parker and I as to who was Sub-Zero. And basically, if it was raining, uh, it was going to be Parks. And if it was sunny, it was going to be me, um, just because we had different game styles. Do the warm-up, do all that, but it's sunny, all that kind of stuff. Then we're down there and they're like the last warm-up, so we're not in the training kit anymore. We're like, we're in the game kit now, ready to go, sort of 15 minutes before the grand final. Mum's come down, so so she's up there. She doesn't know. No one knows, like, what the team is. And basically, in that last bit, horse kind of looked over and went, nah. So I had to keep my emotions up for the boys because I didn't want to, you know, take their mind off anything. And then, yeah, I'll just, I'll just never forget sort of like the final address and then you, you kind of go to the bottom of the race and you look up and all, all, all you could see was a whole joint packed. 100,000 people. Yeah, and you just see the, 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 the banner go up, um, like blocking out sky basically all you can see is the banner at this point from down there and up go the boys and it was just like it was just just me in the rooms like and it's like you're in the most densely populated place in Australia with everyone losing their shit and you're the most alone person like it was something I worked so hard for and then there's all these other little things like mum was there it was my birthday like just like all of these little that just added added to like how shit it was to get so close but again like that's the day that summons up the most emotion to me like I mean it's funny like I I got dropped for a school game in year 12 that I still it's 25 years ago and it's still the thing I still dream about it oh I mean this is a long way from no, nah, but it's the same right. thing. It's the same thing. You work hard. You, you, you so emo- like that was my life. That was my life, um, and I missed out. And and like, I still haunt you. Like, I'm fine with it. I just remember how I felt. Like it'll. There's nothing. Like I've never felt that bad. That bad and that sad and. Um, because the other hard thing was it's your best mates who went out and achieved their dreams. Because, mm-hmm. like, obviously, I'm not going to try to take away from your moment, which I'm... you've worked just as hard for, mm. just because I've I've had a shit one. Oh, that's brutal. What's your best memory? Oh, probably not, like... It, it, it's not a specific moment... But it's just, it's a time of my life and it's being at boarding school. So when I was, when we were living in Brocklesby, like all of my friends were in town in Albury. So we were, um, we lived in a tiny farming community. So like the, the, the township itself, like there's no kids there. Mm. So like after school, I had no one to hang out with or no one to play with. And that's, and I, and I, and I look back on that and, I actually really, really rate that time because you know you get you get an imagination because like what what the fuck else are you gonna do? Mm. Um, but then I got to boarding school and straight away you've got thirty best mates ready to do fucking anything, up for anything. Um, still all best mates now. The best part about it was like I went from having no fr- no friends to hang out with after school or in the downtime 
or even siblings as well because I really wanted siblings. And then straight away, like, overnight, now I've got 30 of them. Mm. And it was just the best because then I I just, what do I want to do? Do I want to fuck around? Yeah, of course I want to fuck around. Get, I'll, I've got options. Like, I don't have to kick a footy at a tree. Mm. Like, kick a footy at a tree. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can... That's such a sad image. You know, but like... <laughs> Yeah, I just, I look back at boarding school so fondly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Tommy wasn't quite so wrapped with my line of questioning. What's your worst memory? Oh, fuck. Why? Why do you ask that question? You'll, you'll say. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about my worst memory. What about your best? My best. Uh, my best memory. When you said that, the, f- the first thing I thought of was being on, on stage in Montreal. <laughs> and then I feel like that's, I feel like you want a more like wholesome answer. No. I just want to know what, if you like go bed at night, you know, and you go, oh, I'd want to think of something good. <laughs> <laughs> what a wanker. I'm lying there thinking of 5,000 people in Montreal cheering. <laughs> that's why, I think that's why I hesitate to answer because I, I hate me saying that, Dude. but it's true. That's great. Why is, is it? Yes, of course it's great. I just feel like shouldn't it be something like you know, oh, when my mum tucked me in when I was, and I'm like, no, nah, when I was crushing on stage in Montreal, oh, mine's hitting hitting the four I hit to make my first century, <laughs> and I've had three kids. <laughs> if you had to choose between keeping your best memory and losing your worst, which you're not going to tell me about, yeah, what would you do? Yeah, of course I'd lose my worst. Would you? Yeah. And Mate, I've had so many good gigs. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for this season of Brains Trust. I want to thank all my brains for being so generous with their time and so vulnerable with some of their answers. I'd really appreciate it if you showed them some love. Tommy Little, you can hear weekdays at 3pm with my much better half carry on the Hit Network Drive Show or see the latest comedy special, I'll See Myself Out, from November 5 on Amazon Prime. Plus, I'm sure he'd love to see you at a gig once the live shows get back up and going. Thank you, mate. Sorry, I'm not great with Ernest. We can talk about more things if you want it makes the funniest shit. <laughs> you can catch Charlie Pickering on The Weekly on ABC TV and binge all the latest episodes on iView. Good questions, really interesting stuff. I could have kept going. I could have kept going, but I needed to piss. <laughs> <laughs> You can listen to Jamila on the Weekend Briefing podcast and buy her kids' COVID book, I'm a Hero Too. Radio and podcasting and writing is great. Fortunately for you, you're good at all of them. Oh, that's very nice. I don't know about that. But this is great. What a great project. That was so much fun. Tony Armstrong is giving you all the latest sports news on ABC TV's News Breakfast and is waiting for you to slide into his DMs. Shoot your shot. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen? (laughs) Thanks so much for chatting, mate. I had a ball. Sam Armitage has a new podcast series with Stella called Something to Talk About with Samantha Armitage. Terrific. Beauty. Thanks so much, Sam. Chris, that's my pleasure. Rob Reed is the host of the After On podcast, a series of unhurried conversations with thinkers, founders and scientists. It was great being on here and thank you for having me as a guest. Abby Chatfield hosts her own popular podcast series, It's a Lot Pod, and is also currently hosting the Love Island Australia After Party on Channel 9. That's when she's not trying to respond to all her text messages. Is that your phone? It's beeping. Oh, is it? Sorry, let me just. That's right. I thought it was mine, and then. No, it's my. It's my. It's my 
notifications. I don't know how to turn them off on this Mac. How do you turn them off? That's a very good question. How do I fucking... Does anyone know how to do this? Jesus Christ. Why am I so old? Why do I have no idea what's going on? Aren't you like 25? I'm 26, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see if that works. No, it didn't work. (laughs) My thanks also to my producers, the genius that is Chris Marsh, the guru that is Carly Humby, and the wanker that is Sam Kavanagh. Thanks to Joe White for making me more popular and to Oscar Gordon for the awesome video and social media stuff. I hope to see you all next time when we convene another Brains Trust.